Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we get to look at Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears." For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirit of the righteous, made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth, How much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. 
This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. So we pick up right where we left off yesterday, with the cloud of witnesses, the faithful the hall of faith, the, the people that have gone before us who were looking forward to Christ's coming and they clung to that promise of a Messiah who would come. We get to look at that. We get to be encouraged, inspired, built up by their witness, their testimony of their faith, so that we may do the same, that we may lay aside the burdens which cling to us, the sins which cling to us, that strikes awfully similar to Genesis 4, where God warned Cain that sin was crouching at the door looking to devour him. Sin hasn't stopped, but we lay it aside. We instead run the race that is before us, that is the, the race of faith, the life of faith that leads to paradise. How do we do this? Verse 2, we look to Jesus. He is the founder of our faith. Without him, we have no faith. He's the perfecter of our faith. He's the one that takes that hope, that Old Testament hope in a Messiah who would come, and he delivers. He fulfilled all the promises, the prophecies of old, and he will continue to do so, as there are a few more promises yet sitting out there that he has given to us, that he will come again, the resurrection, paradise. We look to him. The joy that was set before him endured the cross. That's us. I like to define joy as treasure. So where your joy comes from is what you treasure. So we treasure the Lord, not the things of this earth. And this is actually kind of the opposite. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus was willing to die on the cross for you. You are the treasure he sought. That takes you back to a couple of those parables he himself told, right? You remember the parable of the treasure in the field where the man finds the treasure, he goes and sells everything he owns so he can buy the field so he can have the treasure? Or the pearl, uh, the merchant who, who sells all of the pearls he already has so he can buy the, the perfect pearl that he was seeking after? Those sorts of parables connect to this quite well. Jesus endured the cross for us. Because he loved us, he wanted to redeem us, to save us. He was willing to despise the shame, which is an interesting phrase. He knew the shame that it would come upon him, and he was willing to endure it for us. He was willing to, to essentially say it's not shame. Like shame, we, we run away from. He, he despised that. He didn't run from it. He opposed it. He took it. And now he's seated at the right hand of God. So look to our superior. Look to our better one, to stick with the theme of the book here. Consider Jesus. Consider him, verse 3, who endured from sinners hostility against himself. Picture the cross. Remember what he went through so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Note the connection here. When you are suffering, when you are hurting, when you are enduring trials and temptations, think of Jesus. Look to him. Remember what he endured on your behalf. 
And this is very much biblical language. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, really elsewhere in the book as well, but endure suffering. The one who endures suffering for doing good in the, in the eyes of the Lord, this is a gracious thing from God. According to 1 Peter 2, it is a gracious thing of God when you endure suffering in this world. Why? Well, you keep reading. It points to Christ. When we suffer on account of Christ in this life, we're suffering with Christ. We're being reminded, we're being pointed back to Jesus and to his suffering, which points us away from our sin, and it points us to the one who forgives our sins. Everything in this world is designed to make us focus on whatever that thing is. Right? You think of the TV. The TV is not designed to help you think about Jesus. The TV is designed to be a marketer's dream. The screen is designed to addict you to whatever it wants to addict you to. That's just the culture that we live in. There aren't a lot of things that point us to Christ. But our suffering does, according to Scripture, and that's why it's a gift. We don't often see it that way. And this is one where you then can turn the question to your children, especially if they're older. Is suffering good? And the answer to that question is actually yes. When suffering on account of Christ, it is good because it points us to Christ. In our weakness, Christ strengthens us. That's another such message um, similar to what we have from Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. He talks about how he had the thorn in the flesh. He wanted it removed. The Lord would not remove it from him, even though he prayed for it three times, because in his weakness, he would see, then he would be strong, because realizing that he is not strong, it is then that he relies on the Lord, and it is thus the Lord who makes him strong. The preacher here then reminds us that in our struggle, we have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. If you had, you wouldn't be reading this. You wouldn't be listening to this today. So, there may be more suffering to come. Endure it patiently. Look to Christ in the midst of it. Then he goes into a conversation about discipline. Uh, based on that quotation in verses 5 and 6 from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, the discipline comes from the Lord. And if he disciplines you, it's because he loves you. If he disciplines you, it's because you're his son. Fathers discipline their sons. You can think of how your parents disciplined you. You can think of how you discipline your children. Maybe you have a conversation around it. Talk about that. Why do, you, why do we discipline you? Why do you think we discipline you? Why do we actually discipline you? Fathers do it for a short time in the way that seems best to them. It may not actually be the best, but they're trying. But God, how much more so God, right? The one who is holy, the one who is good, he disciplines us that we shall share in his holiness. Verse, tw verse 11, discipline is not pleasant but painful at the time. No one wants to be disciplined, but we are disciplined for a reason because it makes us more like the one who is disciplining us. It helps shape us into the person we are to be. 
As God disciplines you, he's discipling you. See the connection between those words? To be his child. To live as a caretaker of his creation, to share the good news with others. So, endure. Verse 12 and 13 here. Carry on. Drooping hands, weak knees. We aren't perfect. We are suffering, and that's okay. In fact, it's good, because it points us to Christ. In our weakness, we are pointed to Christ. So keep working with those hands. Keep walking with those knees. Keep pointing your feet in the forward direction, as long as that forward direction is pointed towards Jesus. The Lord heals us. Maybe not the way we want, maybe not in this time, but the Lord is for us. So some things we are to do, strive for peace with everyone. That's a tough task. Probably an impossible task, at least for man. But imagine paradise someday, you'll be there. Even the people that you don't think you could possibly reconcile with in this world, you might be there with them and be reconciled. So pray for it now. Work towards it now. Forgive one another. Learn to forgive each other. Learn to not hold grudges. Verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So here we have the idea, like we saw in verse, chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, that we're not individuals. American culture teaches that very highly, but it's not the church's idea. It's not the Bible's idea. We are a community. We're a family. So look out for one another. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So that would be the family that is the church that we maintain, that we endure, right? That the ones who are dull, hard of hearing right now, that we would encourage them in their faith. But it's also those outside the church. See that no one fails. We share the gospel with them so that they too may come to this knowledge of the truth and be saved. Watch out for the root of bitterness that might cause trouble in us. So... That would be the lack of forgiveness as we hold grudges and and allow those things to grow and fester, like mold uh, grows in a a house if not treated. This is why we are told not to let the sun go down on our anger. I think that's Ephesians where we read that one. It only gets worse. It must be forgiven. Watch out for sexual immorality. That one's not elaborated on here. Watch out for unholiness like Esau, which is a reference to him despising the gifts of God. He was the firstborn son of of Isaac. And by that very thing, the promise of the Savior was his. His offspring. It would have come through his family tree, and he rejected it. Later on, when he realized the depth of what he had done, it was too late His father Isaac had already given the blessing to Jacob, and so no matter how much he wanted Isaac to give him a blessing, Isaac didn't have it left to give. All right, as we look to the last paragraph, well, paragraphs, the last section of the text today, we are reminded of the account from Exodus 19 of the appearance of God on the mountaintop of Sinai, this burning, fiery, stormy cloud that brings with it earthquakes and and all the such things that are mentioned here in the text. 
when God spoke from the cloud, the people were terrified. I mean, if you actually read those chapters, it sounds like the people themselves heard God speak the Ten Commandments, and they were terrified. And they told Moses to go intercede for them because if they heard his voice again, they were going to die. Don't let them hear his voice again. They couldn't bear with it. They were, they were afraid. That is the holiness of God. Even his messengers, the angels, when they appear, we have, they have to say to us, do not be afraid, because even their appearance and their holiness, which is just a shadow of God's own holiness, is enough to terrify sinful men. Instead, we have come to a different mountain. We've come to Mount Zion, not to the destruction and wrath of God. We have come to the perfection of God, but through his mercy, through his grace. The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, a reference to Revelation 21, which is the church. I mean, as you just read Revelation 21, sounds like a city until you get down to like verse 8 or 9 or somewhere in there, where all of a sudden it's like, wait, this is the church. We're gathered to the Lord himself through Jesus Christ, verse 24, who is the mediator of a new covenant. He sprinkled us with blood, and he speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's an interesting connection. You got that better idea again, so common here in the book of Hebrews. What's going on here? Genesis 4, when Cain kills Abel, his brother, Abel's blood cries out from the ground, crying out for vengeance that the Lord would act. Jesus' blood cries out from the cross, not for vengeance, but for forgiveness. That is a better word. The forgiveness of God is better than the vengeance of God. Seek his forgiveness and live. So, see to it you don't refuse him who speaks the truth, God's truth, because if you do that, you're in trouble. They refuse the one who warned them from earth, Moses, warning the Israelites. They refused to listen to him and the truth he shared. If they didn't escape, we won't either if we refuse the one who speaks the truth from heaven, so Jesus. His voice shook the earth, verse 26, again a reference to God in Exodus 19, that account from before. But now... Haggai 2.6, the promise, he will not shake just the earth, but also the heavens. That's a reference to the final day when Christ returns and everything is, is uprooted and overturned and the heaven and earth pass away and a new heaven and earth are created. And here we see the idea then that there are things that cannot be shaken. So this is a picture of like if you take a, I don't know, you're playing Jenga on a table and you shake the table, the whole Jenga tower falls over. You shake a house like with an earthquake, a lot of stuff gets damaged. But in the shaking, there are things that are not shakable. Those things endure. And this holy city, this new Jerusalem that is the church, the bride of Christ, the kingdom that he's preparing for us, a paradise, these are things that are not shakable. These things remain. And so we are to give God thanks for such things. We are to worship him with reverence and awe. Not how we want but in a way that shows that he is holy and he is set apart because he is a consuming fire. And if, we are for, if he is for us, if we are in faith to him, we will not be consumed, but we will live forevermore.